Welcome to The Whole Truth, where two wholesalers help financial professionals build great practices and thrive in a rapidly changing industry. We'll bring you the stories and voices from those on the front lines of this change, and we'll have some fun along the way. We're building a community of financial professionals who are growing, forward-thinking, and want to get better. Thanks for listening and contributing to the discussion. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. We are joined by Thomas Trentman, CFA, Senior Portfolio Manager of Sands Capital Management, LLC, a sub-advisor of Touchstone Securities, Inc. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth from the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side. And from Atlanta, Georgia, I am Kurt Dupuis. All right. So we got a really interesting episode today. I think so. Yeah, it's a good one, at least to investment and probably technology nerds, just nerds of multiple different, Yeah, you know. Anybody that has not been living under a rock this year. Yeah. How about that? Absolutely. Well, I mean, this AI thing, it seems to have come out of nowhere. Like we heard about it for years and years and years. AI is coming. AI is coming. But it seems to have just kind of exploded this year in 2023 as we talk to our guest today, which I'll introduce in a second. He was saying it really was chat GPT. Once that was released, once the firm application came out, all of a sudden it seems like- The dam broke. Yeah, like the floodgates are opening. So let me introduce our guest here. So Tom Trentman from Sands Capital. So let me first introduce Sands and I'll introduce Tom and then we'll get going on the interview. So Sands Capital, one of our sub-advisors, one of our most prominent sub-advisors, they've been around since 1992. They are growth-only investors. That is all of they do. So they've got a deep team that's focused exclusively 100% on growth only. So that's that puts them, I think, in a really unique position to be able to evaluate AI, to talk about the investment implications. So that's about Sands Capital. Tom Trentman, many of you may have heard him because he's been on the show before. He's a senior portfolio manager at Sands. He's been at the firm since 2005. Just a really great guy, knows a ton about the subject. Yeah, so it's a unique prism, right? It's not just oh AI for the general population. It's from an investment lens. And that was one of the comments I remember being very stark that that the Sands team made a while back was that, you know, when you think about something like crypto, you know, th- what businesses, especially investable businesses, have really popped up out of that? Almost none, right? Like yeah. cool technology, some some people are super into it, some are not. This is different. Like Chat GPT, AI, the productivity gains, the level to which large corporations are going to be integrating this into various aspects of their business, the ancillary businesses that will pop up because of this, they're pretty optimistic about. There seems to be some evidence and at least some sentiment that this is here to, to stay and that real businesses will form around them. I don't want to hear about any business called Skynet popping up. I feel like we're headed towards the Terminators in in a quick fashion. I hope I'm wrong. I actually, I think I asked Tom that question. So I don't know if I said, will there be Terminators, but something like that. <laughs> well, let's transition to our interview with Tom Trentman from Sands Capital. And welcome to our discussion with Tom Trentman, Senior Portfolio Manager from Sands. He's also a research analyst. And you've been with Sands, what, since 2005? Do I have that right? That's correct, yep. And you're back on the show. Uh, you're like a veteran of the whole truth. So welcome back. We're happy to have you back. Happy to be here. Excited. With much better headphones. Like he's got these, well, how would you describe them, Kurt? Like big space 
headphones. They're pilot headphones. So I am, pilot. my brand is the guy with the biggest headphones on these podcasts. And Tom's just completely dunking on me. Well, he's got the microphone. Two times. The, Two times I mean, the if, size. If he he yeah. could fly internationally on, on commercial jets with these things. I think they weigh about three pounds. Yeah. Really <laughs> if, your, if your neck gets sore during the recording, just let us know. We'll, we'll take a break. I think the first time we had you on, we talked about the boom and bust cycles in growth investing. And at that point, you know, growth had kind of gone through this incredible period of, you know, interest rates rising, asset values getting getting crushed. It was pretty good timing because since then, I mean, it's been a nice little run. Well, we have a, a really, really fascinating topic to talk about today, which is AI, uh, artificial intelligence. It seems to be a topic that to me, kind of came out of the blue. Like there was a lot of talk of it over the years, but all of a sudden now, this is something that is thrust into the mainstream. What was it that thrust it into the mainstream? Was it just chat GBT? Was there something else that was happening? I'd love your perspective on that. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the, you know, it's referred to as the iPhone moment for AI uh, right now, but yeah, it was, it was chat GPT. The, you know, AI work's been going on, you know, a long time, you know, it's actually a sort of a wilderness field where a lot of the work that's being used today actually was done, you know, decades ago, and it sort of became a dead end uh, for a lot of academics. And then really with the, you know, some of the improved parallel processing and the advancement of chips, all of a sudden, some of these things that just seemed like they were never going to go anywhere started being useful. And we, we've seen this, you know, recommendation engines is a good one that you'd see as a consumer, you know, whether it's your, your Netflix recommendations or the content you're seeing on social media, that's machine learning. That's part of AI. You know, the transformer was really the, the invention that, that brought about the large language models, you know, that came out of Google. Uh, they published an academic paper, I, I want to say it was in 2017. So it's this isn't brand new, uh, but what really captured the imagination was seeing it, you know, easily accessible to any person and just seeing like, holy cow, it can do what? You know, the answers that are being produced, just you never thought a computer could interact with a human that way with, you know, understanding with emotion. And, and so that was really what sort of took it from something that was happening in the background to something that became top of mind for pretty much every organization today. I can think of no better firm to help us make sense of of AI and really future trends in, in investing broadly uh, than you guys, because um, that's kind of a, a big part of what you do is to understand these long term trends and innovation, etc. How long have you been evaluating AI? Like when did it first hit your radar? If you remember that, yeah. So we've been keeping on an eye on it for multiple years, but it actually did mostly seem like it was fits and starts, and it was. You know, it was technology that would be incorporated into existing products like the recommendation engines I would I, I talked about. And, you know, there would be some iterations, but they would be they would be more modest and it would be mostly in, in the background. But but yeah, this this is I mean, it's definitely something we've been paying attention to as a potential, you know, sort of unlock of, you know, value creation and innovation. Um, but 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 really, it wasn't until you could see just how it could be used for the, the understanding of human language that you really saw the, OK, this is going from fraud detection models and recommendation engines into I could see how this could change, you know, every way in which I interact with with the world and computing and other products and companies. And, you know, and that's really because, you know, the way we think about the major change is it it's it's going from, you know, a Windows, a graphical user interface to a human 
a human interface. So just like going from DOS command prompts to Windows was a pretty big change. This is going from drop down menus and where's this feature and I can't find it to I'll just tell the computer what to do and it'll do what I want. It's funny. I've used that analogy talking about our practice consulting saying like, we are your smart speaker. Like, tell us what you're doing, your business, where you're trying to get better at. You speak it into existence and we help it help make happen for you. Uh, but anyway, so we also heard a quote from, from Frank Sands, so one of your principals, not too long ago. And he said, AI will not replace your job, but a person using AI will replace your job. So can you give a sense of how disruptive you think AI is going to be with the job market and the labor force? Yeah. So, the, I mean, this is an area where there's a lot of concerns and fears. And what if we automate everyone and, you know, we all end up being like the... Uh, the the fat blobs floating around in Wally or something, but I, I think the <laughs> the the reality is that it's 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 like if you think about almost all innovations, people use them to get more done, and there's no shortage of things that could be done in this world, and you know, so you'll just become more productive and spend your time on the higher value added pieces of it, and that's not to say there's going to be no, you know change or, or, you know, disruption and some industries will fare better than others. But, you know, by and large, it's, it's, you know, it's not like when you, I mean, mechanizing agriculture put a lot more people out of work, but you think, you know, I'm sure you ended up with, you know, some challenges in the industrial revolution and the factory jobs ended up at, by and large, you know, we're all a lot better off than we were subsistence farmers. Um, and, and so I think, it, again, there can be some change, but the power will be, you know, make us better. If we rewound 70 years and we were working, you think about the support staff for each person. You have stenographers, you've got people who write your letters, who mail your mail, who move stuff around the office. Like this is all like crazy to us. That's because we got to do all that stuff ourselves. And, you know, we've got Outlook and I got to be, you know, keeping track of my own calendar, remembering when to show up. And, you know, I'm not the best at that. And it's like the AI assistant, you can hire a person to do you do that for you. And that's expensive. But you can also just all of a sudden we'll get all of the assistance that we lost when people got too expensive and we'll get it back. So you'll have someone reminding you when something's going to happen forward looking and letting you know how to schedule something, drafting emails of when you're available for meetings. So you think about how many meetings are you doing versus how much time you spend on administrative tasks. You're going to get more of it into your work and the people who make those changes and become more productive. Yeah. Well, they'll, they'll win compared to their competitors who are still spending a lot of time on you know, kind of back office things rather than pushing their business forward. There's also a group of people that are saying, no, no, this is different. You, you're you of the perspective that it's not different, that it's just similar to those same, you know, leaps forward in technology. Yeah, I, I, that's my bias. Now, I'm an optimist. I'm a tech investor, so maybe I'm I'm biased. But I, I think the, 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 the more pragmatic way to look at it, too, is like you can't really keep a genie like this in the bottle. It's going to happen. Think about where, you know, deploying it, making it useful. And if you see, you know, bad externalities, you can address them over time. But if you just sort of try to stop the adoption of it out of total fear, then I think you're going to lose any of the potential upside, which, you know, th there's a lot of potential to make things much, much better with this technology. And I think we can manage those downsides. And the reality is, you know, th there's no way the world takes a homogenous view on this. So, yeah, one country can decide we're not going to do it. And if it works and it drives upside, not downside, you know, that that's going to be like the, uh, you know, the, you know, it was like the Ottoman Empire banned books. I mean, that didn't get them very far. Right. I, I don't think you want right. to, you know, just sort of 
yeah, turn your back on the, the future because you're happy with the little status quo of where you are. I think that's very dangerous for a society. So there, there's, yeah, so there's my own belief of what's going to happen, but I think history would also suggest that there is no undoing this. It will happen and you're better off embracing and adapting and dealing with the externalities. Let's talk about AI and its effect on markets thus far. So we've already seen a pretty good bit of price appreciation and growth, largely because of AI. Is this run-up been rational? Is this speculative? Yeah. So I think the you know the starting point was was pretty extreme negativity. You know, coming off of the the fastest rise in interest rates in in history. You know, from the lowest level in history. So pretty big changes there caused a lot of reactions, a lot of fear of how this would cascade into you know sort of the worst of economic times. So we came into 2023 with a really negative sort of market backdrop and environment. And then a few things have happened to you know climb that wall of worry and have the the markets markets do better. So the first is AI, as you mentioned, and the second is so far things haven't collapsed, so it's actually turning out better in 2023 so far than than expected. But if we think of AI particularly, it also it if you think about where the benefits are, a lot of the benefits are going to be driven by the information tech industry. So you're creating optimism around growth rates, investments, the future that is suggesting that results aren't going to keep getting worse. And you, you've sort of seen the worst of the consolidation results, and they're likely to get better because all the companies have to, to react to AI. Um, you know, all that said, I mean, yes, the, the, you've had some wobbles in the narrative. It went from kind of the market didn't care to thinking about who's a winner and who's a loser. And then a lot of companies have ended up in sort of the winner's category. And the narrative is pretty good. And it's a backdrop, you know, a tailwind of the market. Um, and, and ultimately, we, we expect to, to move from a narrative discussion to where are the revenues showing up, where are the results coming through, which companies are truly benefiting. And, you know, we, we think that's an environment where selectivity will help us. And, and we look forward to that. But right now, I'd say, yeah, it's a broad tailwind, but you're starting from a really negative point. So it's not nearly as extreme as it looks when you look at you know year-to-date results. Speaking of some specific companies, can you talk about a few different companies, how they might be using AI? I mean, everyone seems to talk about Microsoft, so you're welcome to jump in there. Or are there any other companies that you guys follow that kind of have an interesting story or use case for AI? Yeah, so I, I could talk about a handful, but if, if we think about the, you know, the investing in AI and the companies that benefit, when, when you've got these paradigm shifts, you see a couple different phases. So the first is you got to deploy the technology, which is really around the infrastructure and the hardware that enables it. So that's the first set of companies that are benefiting. We think they're roughly in, in three categories. So you have the semiconductor manufacturing supply chain that makes all these advanced chips. You've got NVIDIA, which is the architectural leader. Think Intel inside, but for the AI age. And then you've got the public clouds, the Azures, the Amazons that where all of this processing is going to happen. So the, right now you're just like, in order to do anything, first you've got to deploy this tech. So that's early on in a paradigm shift. That's where the you know the most money and results shows up. Over time, the sort of the deployment of the tech will slow, and you'll move to companies that are advancing the technology. And you know if we think about in in mobile phones, we we transition from Qualcomm, who benefited a lot as the mobile phones took off, to ARM, uh, which had the chip designs for these phones and kept adding more components that chip designs even as mobile phone units started to plateau. And then ultimately using this new technology to do new things is the biggest and largest opportunity. And we think about that today, I mean, we can look at incumbents transitioning and trying to adapt the technology, but you know, a lot of interesting companies probably haven't even been founded yet. I mean, you think about 
you know, you go back to the internet, first you had to have all the websites proliferate, then you needed a search engine. And then it turned out that, you know, <laughs> I think the top search engine in 1996 was Alta Vista and Google, you know, <laughs> like they don't even exist today. So you, you've, you've got this uncertainty around these new users or you take, you know, companies like Uber and DoorDash, they weren't even founded, you know, until multiple years after the iPhone was launched. So that, that emerging disruptors, as we call them, the companies that, you know, rise up in the new era, do something totally different. They don't even exist today. And so we're looking for them. Um, we're trying to figure out where they'll come. But but the reality is most of our investments are in, you know, earlier on those, in, in those steps down in the hardware infrastructure layer. And then we're evaluating the incumbents that will have to make the transition. So that's sort of a setup to how we're looking at that backdrop. And then uh, you take Microsoft specifically, you know, one of the early areas you are seeing productizing of, a, of, of AI is that, you know, they've pioneered the, the term, the co-pilot. Um, they they started with GitHub, which is helping engineers draft computer code, um, and now they're rolling out that more broadly in the the office suite. And that's where you know could it check your letters? Could it draft your letters? Could it add transitions to PowerPoint? Could it you know there's all sorts of things that the the AI copilot could do to make you more effective in your basic you know white white collar job of you know being an office worker. And you know they've announced you know pretty significant pricing uplift for those features. And if you think about how much time and, and money they, they save, it's it's significant. So even after the discounting, we think it could still you know, stand to double the price per user of anyone who adopts these these features. So that's, you know, they've got a specific product they're offering. They've set a price point. They're going to be sell, selling it. It looks like it should be pretty broadly useful. You know, that that's a pretty good backdrop to benefit. But, but what's powerful with Microsoft is it's not just that. They also have Azure, which is you know, where all this computing is going to happen. So if companies are trying to figure out, well, how do I build my own co-pilot or how do I use my own proprietary data or how do I do something that's specific to my organization? You know, the first step is going to be getting in the public cloud and Azure is going to benefit from that. And then the last piece is because Microsoft's so broad, they really have an opportunity where, you know, when, you know, XYZ Corp comes and says, hey, we want to get to AI, they, you know, they'll hold their hand and say, well, first you buy the Azure and you buy the Microsoft, you know, the Office co-pilots, and then you got to buy all the security tools and our analytics tools and our storage, this and that, and we'll build all these pieces. And then you'll have everything in the Microsoft ecosystem. So they're going to sell a whole bunch of stuff that isn't directly related to AI, but it's that part of that ecosystem to get you on that path to being able to do enterprise AI. So it's really those three key pieces. They have a product, they're mon- you know, they put a price on, they're going to launch, monetize. They have the, you know, one of the fundamental building blocks in the public cloud. And then this whole broad ecosystem. I didn't mention Meta, but Meta is a company that, yeah, pretty much all of their business benefits from AI where they get better content recommendations to people. They can better surface content. They better ad targeting. They've got better ad creative. Um, it, you know, it, it just makes their business better in every way, but they're using their own technology, but then they're also open sourcing it in order to try and get the tech better so they can use it for their application, but they'll let other, other companies use it for different applications. Got it. So in summary, this seems to be a very real phenomenon with material uh, implications for investors, for companies, et cetera. So I think it's important to also talk about what it's not. So maybe talk about the differences, you know, and how you see this relative to something like crypto, which, you know, was a very interesting technology, but doesn't appear to be, you know, secular or changing things in a major way. Am I reading that wrong? How do you guys see that? Yeah. So when we think about these paradigm changes, it's really something that fundamentally changes computer architecture and how how that computing is done. So if you think about, you know, going from a PC to a, a smartphone, 
you know, that's a pretty big, obvious change in how, how people are in, interacting with computing. On the backend side, you go from every you know, client, like your PC is connected to a server that's in your building, to moving it to you know, centralized and then moving it to scalable, interchangeable, you know, so the fundamentals of cloud computing where you just scale it up, scale it down. And um, instead of buying big giant servers that have to get bigger and bigger every year. And and I think that really is where it's clearest where, you know, blockchain and crypto is, is, is not a paradigm shift is, you know, what it fundamentally is, is a distributed database that is more expensive to run, but the key value is that you don't have to trust a centralized authority in order to have the transactions and logs. Now, you know, so so I think by the estimates I, I've seen, it's about a million times more expensive to do a contract in Ethereum than do that same transaction just purely in AWS. So the reason you'd pay a mil wow. million times more is because you don't trust, you know, whoever's holding that data and that they might not fake it or cheat it or, or mess it up. But, you know, we have a long history of things like clearing houses and trusted authorities that have you know the oversight required that they aren't just sort of robbing you blindly and so i think what you find is that there aren't many applications where a distributed database that costs way much way more money is valuable because you can't trust uh you know the central authority managing it so i think that's the clearest thing that it's a technology you know, it's an architectural difference it's just not widely applicable whereas ai seems clearly widely applicable it's clear that you're finding opportunities, and you mentioned a few of the companies, but you guys typically look for companies with dominant market share, competitive positions, those types of things, like clear leaders. Do you see really still those dominant leaders emerging in the same way you did with other types of technology? I think what you're going to see is it's how do companies incorporate that and get differentiation. And you know, one of the things we saw with cloud computing was that because you turn the you know, the cost structure into this cloud backend, you could actually move to a rateable revenue and have, you know, better cost matching and, and risk sharing with your customers. And so Salesforce.com, for example, pioneered a subscription approach. Well, it wasn't like Oracle and others didn't have access to cloud computing, but even if they went that direction, they had to cannibalize their upfront license-based business model to do it. So that, that's, I think, more example of where, you, you know, you see the biggest changes when you put incumbents at sort of a innovator's dilemma, or they feel like they're kind of in a lose-lose situation and they decide not to, not to follow um, and, and just keep doing what they're doing because that's, you know, worked well and is, is so profitable for them. If we think about the key pieces of, you know, the soup you need in order to, to build anything, you need data, you need talent, and you need a lot of money to do all the investments and training of, of these models and deployment and running of these models. And there's a pretty good argument for that largely favoring incumbents because they already have data from their existing businesses. They often have talent, especially some of the largest organizations really have a lot of talent. And they certainly have the money. So I think you're seeing a lot of movement to incorporate these products into the existing large tech companies. So, you know, we mentioned Microsoft, but you're seeing it ServiceNow, you're seeing it at Meta, um, you're, you're seeing it at many, many of the other companies. So the, the incumbents do have an advantage, but I'm sure we'll see the, you know, the DoorDash equivalents over time, you know, the, the Google to the PC era over time. They're just not a, as apparent yet. That's really interesting. Do you see a lot more of the winners these days being private versus public? It does seem like more companies are saying private longer. Uber for many years was a great example of this. Um, give us a sense of that landscape today. 
I mean, yeah, the, the private markets are very vibrant and they support companies for much longer uh, than they than they used to. So I, that, that seems like it's been a, a, a long trend. Um, you, there's extra costs of going public. There's certainly the volatility in your share prices and the daily mark to market sure. that can make management tough. So I don't, I don't think that trend, I mean, there seems to be nothing that, that would change that trend. Um, but ultimately, you need the liquidity of, a, of, of public markets over time. And so eventually that does push companies to go public, but, but yeah, later than they used to. So I would expect if we go to that emerging disruptor category and we think about what could be done with AI that could never be imagined today, where's the, the Uber, the DoorDash, or you know, another good example is something like Shopify. Shopify is a second order effect winner on mobile because Facebook ads were so good at finding product market fit it enabled a whole you know, generation of startup direct-to-consumer companies and Shopify managed and allowed them to run all their businesses. You know, maybe it's it, you know, that second-order effect like, like Facebook rather than taking advantage directly of the technology like a, a DoorDash, but, but th they'll be there and yeah, they're, they're going to be incubated in the public markets. I mean, sorry, the private markets. I'm excited we got a team that's focused on that, that we get to talk to whenever we want that is chasing down all those opportunities and evaluating them and, and helping us get smarter you know, long before they become public and, and investable for us. So, so let's talk about geography as it pertains to AI. Is this a, a U.S. phenomenon or a developed phenomenon? Is it going to be global? Yeah. So you have two really strong centers of it, um, U.S. and China, and that kind of gets us caught in the uh, <laughs> the geopolitical mix. If you look at, you know, we've we've done some some work looking at where the talent uh, pools are, and the reality is a huge concentration of you know, there aren't very many really experienced, talented, trained AI engineers in the world. You know, they're in the, the, the thousands, probably the low thousands. And most of them are in the San Francisco Bay area. Like that's where they live. That's where you've got the, yeah. you know, the, the, <laughs> the significant concentration, you know, and that's a, that's a challenge for companies to access talent, you know, wherever they are. The reality is the other place you've got a lot of really high quality, strong work being done is China. And that's where you've had some of the export controls trying to limit access to some of the chips and slow down China's progress. And you get into all the geopolitics. Look at what uh, ByteDance, which owns, you know, Dalian and then TikTok as their international product. I mean, you know, they're clearly, clearly top notch in the machine learning they've been able to do, the AI they've been able to infuse in their products, the way they've been able to find you know, content that'll get you to watch uh, 10 second videos for two hours or three hours a day, which I think is their average time per user. It's sort of out, wow. you know, just hard to imagine. So so I would expect, th yeah, those are your two big talent centers. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress for a second because we're allowed to. It's a podcast and we can go down some paths we didn't intend to, but uh, in that, Kurt mentioned that uh, Frank spoke to us, Frank Sands Jr. spoke to us at our last sales meeting, covered a few topics. One of them was China. And it seems to me that you guys have gotten a lot more bearish on China. Is that a Frank thing? Is that a company thing? It's hard to look at it rationally from the outside and not say it's gotten more complicated to navigate China, especially as a, a foreigner. And you look at the sort of the regulatory crackdowns on some of the big tech companies, you had the whole Jack Ma stuff with, with Alibaba. So it, it's clearly gotten harder to to navigate. And I think that's what, you know, the debate is around, well, then it could get better to navigate or the, you know, natural order of these things is they, they go in one direction until they, you know, they reach end game. 
the reality is none of us know, right? So we have to look at the the world as it is, not as we wish it to be. We've got to think about what risk we're willing to take and what we, we don't want to take. Objectively, it has become harder to navigate. That's a fact. I think we're cautious on the ability to structurally turn it, uh, especially as, as foreign investors. Got it. So one of the things that's unique about you guys is your view of the markets tend to be longer than the market's view of markets. How do you guys think about that? Or what does the market have wrong with thinking about AI, given that your long view of the world? Yeah, so I, I, I think it's a, a quote attributed to, to Bill Gates, but the you know, people always overestimate what can happen in the short term and underestimate what can happen in the in the long term. And, you know, so you think change will be faster or, or larger on a two year time frame. And then your wildest ambitions on the 10 year time frame are way too you know, <laughs> sort of cautious. Um, I, so I think that's likely to happen here. It does really seem that with the computers getting smarter, uh, with them being able to interact with humans, we're going to see pretty profound change in the services available to us and what's possible. But I don't know if I bet on that on a one-year time frame. So I think it's one where, yeah, you can easily have you know overhype, um, you know overexcitement on a near term. But when you look out larger, you know the magnitude of this will get larger and larger. So we're looking for the opportunities where, you know, you can get both in your favor. So if it's a five-year opportunity, not a one-year opportunity, and the market's really excited about it, hey, we'll be patient. Final question on you know what questions are left to be answered so I, you brought up a few of them in my mind like who's going to be some of the winners the innovators that are going to come through the market things like that you also mentioned you know potential guardrails we'll implement this we'll see what needs to come in the future are there any other questions that need to be answered on ai from your perspective we are just getting started and exploring the capabilities of this so the, you know what we've seen typically with technology is that the the capabilities grow dramatically and the cost of deploying those capabilities shrink dramatically you know orders of magnitude and what happens is then you just do more than you ever thought was was possible so if you think about like what a computer was capable of in you know 1990 versus what it became capable by 2000 or now. I mean, it's just sort of like, wow. Um, <laughs> you think about like your, how much information you had on your floppy disk, um, <laughs> you know, versus like the gigabytes on your hard drive that you don't even think twice about. Um, you know, the, the, these are just like, you're playing a totally different, different game. So I, I think the, you know, how that shows up in this time and what innovations are capable and what this is truly capable of you know, we're, we're just getting started with. So like I mentioned, writing computer code, right? Um, it, it can do that. It can be helpful. It can be minor. Um, it can be good for error checking and some of the stuff that's kind of, you know, not that fun and exciting versus the creating of something. But is that all it can do? Is that all we're going to have in five years? Or is it going to be much, much more capable of adding value and figuring things out? And then what do you do with that? So uh, yeah, I, I think the the unanswered questions are really around trying to imagine you know, when we're kind of right at the beginning where things will be, you know, three, five, 10 years from now, when it's, when it's most likely a nonlinear path and we don't know exactly what the breakthroughs will be. Like, again, I don't think you would have said when the phone comes out, you would have been like, oh, wow, I'll, I'll like surf the web, you know, I'll, I'll book flights when I'm, you know, you, you can figure out some of that stuff, but you wouldn't have thought like, oh, now I'll be able to order food because my location will be there and people bring it to my door or, oh, wow, this will actually make advertising so effective that it'll cut out the middleman and we'll have this explosion and direct to consumer startups that are, you know, 
who knew we needed more sock companies in the world or who knew there was this opportunity <laughs> for like specialized everything. And it's like amazing as a consumer because it's like all of these things that were too niche to serve our businesses now. And, if, you know, all of us have some, you know, hobby or whatever that's a little esoteric. And now it's like, wow, I can really get amazing stuff for this now. Are you and, into uh, socks, Tom? Is that your thing? <laughs> I've got a lot of a lot of esoteric hobbies. Socks is, is not one of them. But oh, okay. the, uh, <laughs> we could go down uh, some rabbit holes on, on beekeeping or something sometime. But uh, <laughs> next time. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, yeah, that that one ended in a uh, in a hospital trip. So, yeah, if you uh, if you want to know the dangers of uh, keeping bees. Okay. <laughs> All right. Time out, Tom. Now you're gonna have to tell us the story. So you you started keeping bees and ended up in the hospital. Do I have that right? Yeah. So you know how like they say with peanut allergies, it was like, oh, was, don't do, eat a peanut before you're three, and now it's like, oh, you should start having it regularly because the trace amounts of exposure can make you allergic well apparently that's how bee venom works in a lot of adults so the uh you know oh so one percent of people are born allergic and about 10 percent of professional beekeepers kids are allergic because they're around it all the time and don't get stung and so a hobbyist beekeepers kind of like that so i got stung five times of this you know over three years and the six months sent me to the, the hospital so uh and that was you know it was funny that, that was the end of it because it, uh, my uh my, my wife was also about a, a, a week out from the due date of my first child. And there we are in the hospital <laughs> with nothing to do with her. So that was the, uh, I was like, all right, maybe you should rethink this. So uh, yeah, you get into beekeeping, get stung regularly is the, uh, the moral of the story. I love that. <laughs> Unbelievable. That is an esoteric hobby though. You are not lying yeah, about yeah, that. It, but, well, uh, and here, like, actually, this was not created by the AI internet world, but you can order bees through the U.S. mail. But you didn't know that. Can you yeah, really? They ship them in the, they drop them off on your, uh, your uh, front deck, you know, porch, and uh, yeah, you got 10,000 bees in the little box. Express still? <laughs> <laughs> nah, the U.S. mail, like, poor, poor mail carriers have to carry that around. But uh, uh, but anyways, yeah, you probably get all the, you know all kinds of amazing specialized equipment that uh, you would have had to drive 10 hours to some, you know, <laughs> get some weird mail order catalog. But uh, yeah, sorry, that was a, that was a real rabbit hole there. No, I, 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 we enjoy rabbit holes. We like that. But I mean, back to just the, the concept and the, the discussion in general about AI in the future, man, isn't growth investing fun? It really is just, you know, it, it's about exploring the possibilities and picking out the winners and trying to predict a few. I mean, it really is. I don't know. It seems pretty darn fun to me. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, there, there's many ways you could be successful in the market. And I think one of the most important things is finding something that you get excited about and you really believe in and you're going to stick with. And if, and if you are one of those person, you know, people who like, there's nothing they love more than a good sale, like, you know, you could be a pretty successful value investor, but if you like, you know, if you're like me and you like thinking about how the world will change and exploring new technologies and thinking about, you know, all these questions we've been talking about on the podcast today, it's, yeah, I mean, it is, it is, yeah, there's nothing, no job I could imagine to be more fun than, than being a growth investor. Well, thank you, Tom, our uh, returning champion from Sands Capital, our expert on AI, and apparently our, our, Resident our person who's beekeeper. expert on beekeeping <laughs> and bee, bee venom. He's got former, he's multifaceted. Former yeah. expert beekeeper. Yeah, well, we, former beekeeper. <laughs> sort of the career got cut short long before I became an expert, but yeah. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Well, thanks for your time today. We're going to transition to our Costanza Corner. This is the whole truth. Stick with us. 
And welcome back to our Costanza Corner, where we like to leave on a high note. And I think, are you going directly with Costanza today? Is this one of those? I am. Oh, yeah. Buckle up. Well, so it just gives me so much joy. So literally, like, just Google George Costanza quotes. If you're in a bad mood, just do that, and it will immediately <laughs> turn your day upside down. Uh, but so a quick story, and then I'll get into, into my Costanza quote. So um was here in Atlanta this week. There was a regional conference here, which meant there were a lot of financial professionals. And being an extrovert, I find myself among a of lot of people. Of course, you do at the bar, little little late. Um, which means the next day was a little bit rougher than that I'd prefer. But so so this quote made me laugh doubly hard. I love a good nap. Sometimes it's the only thing getting me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Uh, I could definitely relate to that um, at, at at some points this week. <laughs> I have no response. Just terrific George Costanza quotes, which I think all these must have been written by Larry David before the end, obviously, right? Or do you think that Jerry, too, is writing for George? Probably to all Larry, right? I'm sure over the years he was able to seep into Larry David's consciousness <laughs> um, for whatever those last two or three that Larry David wasn't on the show. But um, pretty... I mean, Larry, Larry David's pretty iconic. Yeah, right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks, y'all. You can find The Whole Truth and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And for more episodes of The Whole Truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. That's touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. All one word. As of June 30, 2023, Amazon.com Inc. made up 7.22%. DoorDash Inc. made up 2.35%. Meta Platforms Inc. made up 4.12%. Microsoft Corp. made up 8.36%. Netflix Inc. made up 3.86%. NVIDIA Corp. made up 6.67%. ServiceNow Inc. made up 7.29%. Shopify Inc. made up 3.18%. And Uber Technologies Inc. made up 3.20% of the Touchstone Sands Select Growth Fund. These holdings are current as of the date of the production date of the show recording. Current and future portfolio holdings are subject to change. AI is an acronym for artificial intelligence. AIPRM is an acronym for artificial intelligence powered response manager. AWS is an acronym for Amazon Web Services. Growth investing risk. Growth stocks may be more volatile than investing in other stocks and may underperform when value investing is in favor. U.S. Trading Events Risk Events in the U.S. and global financial markets, including actions taken to stimulate or stabilize economic growth, may at times result in unusually high market volatility, which could negatively impact fund performance and cause it to experience illiquidity, shareholder redemptions, or other potentially adverse effects. Emerging Markets and Foreign Investing Risk Foreign, emerging, and frontier market securities and depository receipts, such as American depository receipts, global depository receipts, and European depository receipts, carry the associated risks of economic and political instability, market liquidity, currency volatility, and accounting standards that differ from those of the U.S. markets and may offer less protection to investors. The risks associated with investing in foreign markets are magnified in emerging markets and in frontier markets due to their smaller and less developed economies. Sector risk. Investing in certain sectors may involve additional risks and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. 
It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC. This commentary is for informational purposes only and should not be used or construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The prospectus and the summary prospectus contain this and other information about the fund. To obtain a prospectus or a summary prospectus, contact your financial professional or download and or request one at touchstoneinvestments.com resources or call Touchstone at 800-638-8194. Please read the prospectus and or summary prospectus carefully before investing.